Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This time it's pre-season preview number two. We promised you we're going to give you a second tier preview and that is exactly what we're going to do this evening. As always, I'm joined by Scott and yours. Scott and yours, how are you guys doing this evening? Hello everyone. There was one league and now there's two. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so up to this. <laughs> yours is absolutely delighted to be talking second tier football. Anyway, let's go straight into this then obviously it looks a very different league to how it looked last year in the second tier we've obviously lost Musclon completely they've just disappeared to the lower reaches of Belgian football and been replaced by Denda we've also got a couple of second second team teams if you can call them that from the top division that have joined the league as well we thought before diving straight into the teams we'll give you a bit more of an overview of like what this league actually looks like because it's always been a bit of a mental league in terms of structure results and everything around it but this year again it's completely changed in how it operates so Scott as our kind of number one fan on the podcast of the second tier has gone away and had a little look and analysed kind of what it actually looks like this year so Scott over to you to give the folks a good lowdown on what actually the second division is going to look like in 2022-2023. Unless you've been living on the moon, everyone, you probably know by now that uh, the first thing to tell you all about is Division 1B, as it used to be called, has had a bit of a rebrand over the summer and will now officially be known as the Challenger Pro League. We're not going to talk about that because we have our own feelings about that. It is what it is, but yeah, it's, it's now known as the Challenger Pro League. So in terms of its structure, uh, for this coming season, there will be 12 teams who are going to play each other home and away over 32 uh, match weeks over the course of the season. So the regular season with 12 sides will be 22 match weeks. After the 22 match weeks, the playoffs kick in. So there'll be a playoff one and a playoff two. Playoff one obviously consists of six teams. This is the championship playoff, effectively, where those six sides will fight out for promotion to the Pro League. And playoff two, which is sides, the sides finishing 7th to 12th, becomes the relegation playoff. And obviously the side that finishes bottom drops out of the Challenger Pro League and into amateur football, the, the first national uh, division, as it's known. So the playoff system here in the Challenger Pro League is, is something new that's coming in this year. So we don't know how that's going to work yet, but we do know uh, a few other things. We know that there are some rules in place to ensure that the four under 23 sides, which we'll talk about in a little while, making up this division, that's obviously Club Next, uh, Club Rouge's young side, uh, Young Genk, Anderlecht Futures and SL16, which is standardly ages under 23 side. Uh, there are some new rules everybody's signed up to just to try and abide by fairness, if you like, as far as the squads are concerned. So the key things that you really need to know are that qualification rules for under 23 players mean that there are no age restrictions as long as a player hasn't played for a 1A side this season. So as long as you haven't made an appearance for a 1A side, uh, you can be any age and effectively play for the Challenger Pro League side. A new rule comes in after six matches into the season. Any player who has started two-thirds of a season or has played at least 45 minutes cannot play for an under-23 side. So that's another kind of exclusionary rule that kicks in after six match days. 
A couple of other important things as well. Half of all the players must have been educated for a minimum of three years inside a Belgian academy, and two-thirds of players on each individual team sheet each week must have been trained by a Belgian club as well. So they're the kind of key takeaways here that you really need to know to kind of get you started. Now, as far as the under-23 sides are concerned, this decision to include those four sides has been approved for a period of two years. So in March of next year, March 2023, there'll be an integration assessment that takes place where the sides will sit down and have a look at how this has worked, has it worked, um, do they need to make changes again? Um, are they going to stick with the same format? So this is very much a, a suck it and see situation. Nobody really knows how this is going to work out, but um, we're going to find out shortly, aren't we? Yes, we definitely are. It's going to be an interesting one, I guess, because obviously we've had before with Club Next being in there and kind of seeing the results that that led to in terms of kind of them not really doing very well, understandably. Then obviously being replaced by Verton, who put up a fight, albeit with like a very like kind of minimal put together team. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they fare. Obviously, the games between them are going to be kind of closer you'd expect than some of the ones against the other teams. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm personally never really been a fan of kind of putting like youth teams or under 21, under 23 teams or second teams as they are in Germany into kind of these more professional structures and allowing them to compete in kind of these higher up leagues. I'm happy for it to happen in kind of like amateur football levels but maybe not in the top things so if they do well and it becomes successful I'm happy to kind of change my opinion of that within the Belgian system but I'm not too sure how it's really going to work in this instance but yeah we shall wait and see in terms of structure for this episode we'll start with kind of the I don't want to call them professional teams but kind of the the non-academy teams I guess we could call them and we'll go through them have a look at kind of what they're looking like heading into the season, kind of expectations around them and stuff like that. Kind of an arbitrary way we've done this. It's just went on Transfermarkt, typed in Challenger Pro League and kind of took the list from there. So the first team to look at for us will be Lommel. Uh, Lommel SK, Lommel, who obviously we did a special episode about. Definitely go and check that one out uh, with Mike Green there. It's a really interesting chat. Obviously, Lomond are part of the City group, so that has an impact on kind of the players that they bring in. Obviously, a lot of players from um, from Troyes have come in this season, I think. I think it's three at least. I have to say, guys, I think I mentioned this one before when we're looking at their badge. It does remind me of Summersby Cider. It's got like a kind of Summersby Cider vibe to the badge, and I can't unsee it now. So, I mean, I'm sure it's nice, but um, can't quite get away from that. Just looking at kind of the squad, I guess kind of the big kind of one that's a bit of an kind of outlier in terms of departures. Obviously, Vinicius Souza is on the list, but he was never going to play for them this season, didn't play for them last season. But Koki Saito, um, Scott, I know you're a big fan of Koki Saito. He's going to be a big loss for them going on loan to, I think it's Sparta Rotterdam, isn't it, in the Dutch division. Uh, Brian Smeets has left as well. Arta Salas, Arta Sales, sorry, also gone. They've brought in Nassim Chadli on loan from Troyes. Matinho, I'm interested about him. Uh, Congolese, Brazilian. That's a very interesting mix and not a kind of dual nationality I haven't seen many times before. It's interesting to see how he goes. In charge of this team is going to be Steve Bald, uh, former Arsenal assistant manager under Arsene Wenger. Interesting hire uh, to bring in Steve. 
not sure, yeah, kind of not sure what to expect from him. Always kind of given the impression of a bit of a hard man. Defensively, he's always been rated quite highly as a coach. So be interesting to see how it impacts them in that sense. But Scott, I know you watched quite a bit of Lommel last season. What are you expecting from them this season and kind of how the squad is looking at the moment? I know that their fan base is, uh, has been a little bit disgruntled for a little while. I think, you know, the tail end of last season was kind of quite, I suppose, disruptive is the word. You know, there was a number of coaching changes, none of which were, were permanent ones. And I, I think there was a feeling that the club was 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 drifting a little bit. But behind the scenes, the, there have been plans laid for, you know, a, a fresh start this year and, and more stability around the club. And, you know, over the summer, there's been a lot of infrastructure improvements going on um, around the training facilities uh, and around the stadium as well which have which have been nice to see as you were saying Ben uh, Steve Bold's come in as the new T1 which is a really interesting appointment actually you know because of his his background at Arsenal I mean this is somebody who has real proven experience of, of working with young players and, and developing them with the, the Arsenal under 23 side and the Arsenal 18 side um, and obviously he was a, an assistant uh, for a significant number of years to Arsene Wenger, who who needs no introduction, but also Unai Emery as well when 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 he was at Arsenal. So you know he he has a very interesting profile that I think is probably the, the right one for Lommel. So I can see why why he's attracted to what what is effectively going to be his his first senior head coaching role. Really, another point on Lommel which I think is quite important is they've got a completely new coaching staff this season as well. Not just Steve Ball, but T two Villain Vice has uh, come over from from Anderlecht, um, and he has quite a lot of experience. Um, obviously, knows Belgian football very well, so he's going to be very useful to help and bring Steve up to speed on on Belgian football culture. And also uh, Bruno Andrade uh, has joined has joined the staff there. So a lot a lot of changes on the coaching side, which I think are important. You know, you referred to them losing Koki Saito there. He's gone out and loan. He's a big loss. And this comes back to what I was saying at the beginning about, you know, I think the fans have been a little bit frustrated that they've lost some of what they would consider, you know, their, their kind of big hitters. Uh, the players they would love to see hang around a little bit longer to try and mount a, a promotion challenge. And that's always difficult when, you know, your top talent is is kind of continually coming in and out uh, with different loans. But, you know, that's just uh, the system they're working with. In terms of really good piece of news for Lomel, I just want to give a shout out to Jalan Vanksa who's a really talented uh, 17-year-old Hungarian left winger who's extremely highly thought of um, in Hungarian football circles as as the next big thing there. He's uh, he's come to play at Lommel after after being out on loan this season. It's going to be really interesting to see, I think, how he does um, because he could become... Uh, quite big if his his development goes goes the way lots of people would like like to see it go. But I think there's a as a general feeling of optimism around the place. You know the the big changes that needed to happen inside the club, off on the pitch and off it largely have happened now. Um, and I think everybody there is 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 excited to to get going this weekend. Yeah, they are also uh, they also lost their well th- for the majority of the season uh, first choice goalkeeper Fier Marim as well. Well, he he didn't feature in the last few ge- months already as well, so I think he lost his place. But um, well, goalkeeper changes can always be tricky, of course. In addition to the names uh, that you guys already have mentioned, well, in Lommel, it's a tricky case as well in general. Like I, I guess they're actually the fifth 
development squad to, uh, in the in the league anyway as well. They they have some similar strategy as well as uh, some of the the teams we will discuss uh, in the in the de- these development teams that we will discuss later on. It will be interesting to see if this mix actually works as well. Similar to these development teams to, to continue with that, like the, the the owners don't really mind that much. Uh, well, the, the development teams cannot go up, uh, but in in Lommel as well. The most important thing is to not go down and that they, so that they can keep developing players uh, at a decent level. Of course, I think they will still go, for, if they can, to go for the, for, the, for the top division for the first spot. But um, we'll have to see how it turns out. Um, yeah, to keep going with this development uh, comparison, losing players every year uh, and bringing new ones in, that's, that's definitely something that is also going to happen a lot with the development squads uh, this season as well. In general, I think they have a good squad. Uh, losing Smits is also an important one to me, especially since they, they lose it to uh, a team we will talk about uh, soon enough in, in this episode to a competitor. I think they will be happy with a mid-table finish, but since we started with them, they have the biggest uh, market value of all teams at the moment, which is part of that system. And it uh, will be interesting to see if Steve Wold can... Yeah, can bring them together quick enough to really mount a title challenge. Yeah, I guess that is kind of the the balancing act you have to play is kind of like with the fans in the sense of if the fans want them to be pushing for promotion, but they're not too worried about pushing for promotion. Like you said, you want to be able to stay in the division is kind of the key and like develop players. Like, yeah, that's you're, you're like, it's, it's kind of that's where the difference is, isn't it? Between like, yes, you are technically not a development squad, but you sort of are a development squad, but at the same time, you're, you're, you technically are also your own club. Like Lommel is a, is a club in its own right, in that sense. It was a club before the City Group bought it. It would hopefully be a club after, if the City Group sold it, sort of thing. So it's kind of balancing those two things. But like obviously, we've spoken to, to Mike and kind of like what he sees to do with the club and kind of like how they're trying to improve the infrastructure and everything like that. So you can see there's like, there is long-term planning there. It's not just, we're taking over this club, we'll just flood some players in, develop them, send them off, develop them, send them off. It's like, no, let's improve the structures around them as well, which can only benefit the club in the long run, you'd assume. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'd like to see them push to go up because I'd be interested to see kind of what would happen if they were in the top top tier, kind of like would the calibre of players they got from the City Group kind of, change and improve let's say someone like Troyes went down like would they then get the players that Troyes would have got in a better sense so yeah it, interesting to see um speaking of the pro league let's talk about the side that got relegated last year from the pro league which was Scott. really really young side they've gone with this year um in terms of kind of the players they obviously had some young players last year that have stayed around Big absence, obviously, Rafa Holzhauser's left, Lawrence Shanklin's gone, Halima's gone, Issa Sumali, a couple of players they brought in kind of last summer that didn't really work. Uh, they brought in Andres Weiland, the Austrian manager, a 38-year-old comes in. He's got a two-year contract to try and get them back into the top league. A couple of interesting players that they brought in. Andy Koshi joins from Circle Bruges, the young Belgian midfielder. Bobby Quirin as well, former Antwerp man, was at Denzers, now there as well, uh, but they still got the likes of Stipe Radic, Jan van den Berg, Ryan Sanusi stayed there, which was an interesting one. Dante Ligo extended his stay. They were impressed with what he did during the kind of short spell he had with them at the back end of last year. Uh, Ramiro Vaca also still there, Abraham Ocarelli. But the big one, I guess, is Ilas Sabawi. Lots of interest in him. 
Uh, he seemed reasonably keen or happy to stay there kind of at the back end of last year. I think, I don't know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of saw it as a good chance to kind of keep that football development going and then move on. Maybe he didn't feel like he was completely ready, but I guess, guys, they'll be looking to bounce straight back and Sabari's kind of going to be the talismanic player that they're looking at to kind of be the creator, score the goals and... I don't know, I feel like we should be quite excited about what we might be able to see from him this season, just judging from what we saw last year in the Pro League in the top division, taking a step down, especially against the development squads. I feel like he could have an absolute field day against some of those teams. But a lot will be riding on him and a lot of their hopes will kind of go how he goes. But nice to see that they've gone a little bit more youthful in terms of the players they brought in to look to build for the future. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, it was something I kind of wanted to highlight as well, and that that emphasis on youth is is perhaps not surprising, and I think is is the right thing to do. It's, it's definitely a positive. What they have managed to retain, which I think again is a good sign, uh, certainly before the season starts anyway, or is a decent balance of some experience and a little bit of quality with, with a lot of youth because the the Challenger Pro League is a, is a very physical league. We know that the Pro League itself is very physical, but I think the Challenger Pro League is it has a different kind of physicality. And certainly last season, there was quite a big difference in terms of the quality of football between the sides at the top uh, of the division and the sides at the bottom. And it'll be interesting to see how how that kind of pans out, whether that's replicated this this season as well, with the inclusion of the under-23s as well. We don't really know what we're going to get with Beershot yet. I suppose that's that's the exciting unknown. Obviously, Andreas Weiland's come in as the new T1. Worth mentioning again, fact fans, that Andreas is actually a former assistant of a certain Dominic Talhammer, currently at Circle in the Pro League. Um, so that's an interesting one. I'm sure they they may be on the phone to one another to, to, to kind of catch up occasionally. But yeah, we don't really know what we're going to get with Beershot. In many senses, it's a, it's a kind of fresh start for them. They're, they've got some infrastructure developments going on of their own. They're about to um, develop a, a, a new academy complex, effectively a new, a new training centre, which is kind of quite exciting. So... You know, I I'm sure they their target is 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 to kind of bounce back. My own feeling is, I I'm not sure what sort of a season they're going to have yet. Um, we'll, we'll know more about that probably in the first four or five weeks because much like in the pro league, I think at the moment there are a number of challenger pro league sides who've been kind of quite honest actually in saying we're not really going to be ready for the start of the season. So the start of the season might not quite go the way that we would like. So um, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on this one. Yeah, and Beersfield might indeed be one of those teams. They only have one striker at the moment. So <laughs> that's a bit of a worrying sign. Uh, Sevawi will have to do everything, give assists and also probably score some. Um, he will be needed. Good that they kept uh, a lot of their players for, for this level. Um, they should be good enough. Uh, but yeah, they I do see that big lack of more than one striker at the moment, uh, pure out striker. Uh, they they might experiment with that maybe, or maybe there's some uh, some talent that we don't see yet. Uh, also coming from the youth, a bit like Sebawi actually. Uh, who knows? But um, yeah, they only have Thibaut Baten at the moment. Uh, yeah, also 20 years old, still has to prove everything. Um, he came, he played for Club Nix at this level uh, before he went to NEC, uh, and now, uh, well, and, and not really featuring there, and came back um, to to Beerschot now. We'll have to see. Like they have one striker, it could be that he's a success. But despite half a season at Club Nix, he he is also not a 
completely proven striker yet at this level. And um, it's a big gamble they were taking in the beginning of the season, um, I think. But I'm sure they will do something about that situation. But we'll have to see if that will be in time. And um, well, it's difficult to predict something for them without well, having more competitors for that one spot well i assume one spot <laughs> at the moment uh in the, in the in their system yeah that's definitely a really really good point and um obviously last year the strikers didn't really fire that they had anyway probably if you were them hope that you'd have kept on to someone even if like i don't know maybe like a nabisi would have been nice to have kept on to or uh, one of the or suzuki um obviously they had avanati and shanklin both gone back and left so i think yeah obviously you, they kind of were hoping that they'd keep Lawrence shanklin i think there was kind of like a feeling around the club that yeah maybe if we we can keep shanklin he seemed reasonably happy to stay but he's obviously now gone to hearts so perhaps they weren't ready to lose him and now they've just got to go and kind of go back to the drawing board and see who they can find there but they should really be kind of pushing for promotion if they can i know you guys are like you said like all depends on kind of if you're ready or not. One side that's been very busy in the transfer window is SK Beveren. We didn't mispronounce that. This is Vaseline Beveren, who had a rebrand alongside the other Beveren side, SK Beveren. They've joined together, um, which is great news for the city, uh, for the for the town, sorry, and the clubs to kind of rejoin, I guess, in that sense and kind of bring more fans together. But yeah, again, disappointed that they didn't get promoted last season. Uh, they've now brought in Vim de Decker. Uh, he was at Denza last year. He now comes in as manager here. Lost Norden Yakas, obviously, to Leuven in the summer. But outside of that, they've brought in some some decent players. Alexander Corrin from Circle of Bruges comes in. Still only 28 years old, so still got plenty left in the tank. By no means a bad player. They've brought in a couple of goalkeepers as well. Jorn Brondil, uh, he comes in from Willem too. Uh, Beer Royce also comes in from Azad Alkmaar, so it's kind of competitive spots for Yaka's replacement. They've also brought in Lucas Barrow Costa again, he comes in from Charleroi. Sander Koopman joins from Royal Antwerp as well. Again, we've done a special on, on Beveren when they were Vaslan. It was really interesting to talk about the club then and kind of how they thought that going down wasn't going to be the end of the world for them. They were kind of like saying, actually, we should be fine. I think Antoine was kind of like, we've got financially, we're okay. We'll just have to build up and come back. But I think the kind of hope was that they'd do that straight away. This year looks like they're going to really be trying to go for it again. And guys, I think they look like they're probably one of the best teams to go back up. And if Vim de Decker can kind of refine the magic he found when he got Antwerp back up, this should be a decent season for Beveren and there'll be a lot of expectations on them. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Ben. I mean, for me, Beveren are certainly one of the favourites for automatic promotion this year, as they should be. Um, I think the, the additions that have come in are, are, are pretty good. There's a, there's a good mix of experience, youth and physicality in the side now that should, over the course of the season, you know what I mean, ha- have enough depth to, to sustain a challenge, I think, which is uh, very important. In truth, last season, they went too far away. I think defensively, which is really where they kind of fell down, they conceded too many goals last season, just, you know, at kind of crucial moments in games often as well. I think it's important that, you know, Daniel Moderner stayed. He, he had a very good season up front for them last year. I think he scored... Uh, something like 13 goals in, in 27 games with four assists and at this level that's that's a really pretty decent return and if he can match that 
or improve on that, then I think they will do very well. Interestingly, today, as of recording, they've brought in um, a new young Nigerian striker um, from uh, L'Oreal on loan, I think, for the season, who who looks very good. I haven't seen him play, but I was doing a little bit of research and you know he looks like quite an exciting talent who I think could perform well at this level. And obviously the hope is if he can click with Daniel Moderna, then that could be the partnership that fires enough goals in to achieve automatic promotion again. You mentioned Alexander Corn and Sander Koopman, you know, I mean, really experienced heads at a higher level as well. I think they're great additions. And I think the the, the staff at Beveren are in a very good place. You know, Antoine's done, you know, amazing work there, which I just want to uh, give him a big shout out for again. I think the project of of merging Vazland effectively with with KSK um, over over a five year period, which is the plan at the moment, and using the the original matriculation number again, and everyone in the Beveren football community coming together um, at the free teal is is a hugely positive thing. And I I had my own doubts as to whether this would be possible. So it's a, a tremendously positive thing, this, and a, and a great achievement. And it can only mean things like more money coming into the club um, and more community support. And there was already a lot of really, really good, strong, positive community work going on in, in the Beveren area, run run by the club and Antoine and his team. We know Jordi Condom has gone back to being sporting director, really experienced head there, both at this level uh, and at pro league level. A fantastic addition to the staff there. And Vim de Decker, of course, is a is an old an old Beveren boy himself. So in many ways he's he's quite an experienced uh, appointment for them having won promotion at this level with with Antwerp in the past so you know looking at it from the outside at the moment I think all of the ingredients are there for them to to have quite a strong season. Yeah the one question mark here is not the striking department for uh, uh, in unlike Beerschot but as Scott mentioned the defense was maybe an, uh, an issue last time and they have lost their first team goalkeeper in Jakers. Yeah, so they will have to deal with that. They brought in Brondel. Brondel, I know a little. I'm, I'm not completely convinced by him, but I don't know. I, I can't judge him on, on, on this level. Um, but at Willem II, he, he had his spells, but he never was the real first first choice goalkeeper. Um, but they also brought in other reinforcements uh, from in, uh, inside the low countries uh, with Mulder as a cent- uh, center defense, uh, central defender and Coran, indeed, as you mentioned already. Um, and- yeah, another left uh, wing back. So they're definitely stuffed there. Uh, with also having Chimanga there, they they sh- they also have a big squad, so they can actually take a few hits. Hopefully, they don't need to. But if something happens, they they should be able to replace. Yeah, at the moment, everything seems the situation looks looks quite bright for them. Yes, it's worth mentioning as well, guys. Actually, that Kevin Hogas is still there, player with lots of experience at a higher level than this too. So you know that's that's another plus for them too. Yeah. He scored a couple of cracking goals for them last season. Yeah, I, I like what they've done. I think they've not even had to spend that big. Uh, they've brought in quite a few free agents. But I think, Joris, you kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of they've got their squad looks the most complete. And in that sense, that's why I feel like that you're, Scott, you're also mentioning about how some teams don't feel like they're ready, but this team looks the most ready to go. Um, like you said, they got Hogas. Uh, they got the starter. They've still got some players that they yeah they, they brought in last year and then they've kind of added around that. Going to be interesting to see how they get on, but they're kind of the team I think alongside this next team who should be really really pushing for the title and promotion. 
The next team, obviously, is Molenbeek, who got to the um, the kind of playoff last season. Unfortunately for them, they lost to Salang. I mean, if they played the Salang of this year, they might have had an even better chance of getting promoted, uh, considering how bad they've looked. But yeah, you can tell they've kind of looked to some areas and thought, right, this is where we want to improve. Unfortunately, they've lost the likes of Nicholas Romans. He's gone to Zolta Valagem. Uh, but instead, they've also brought in Brian Smeets, who we mentioned earlier from Lommel on a free transfer. So a great deal. Killian Hazard's joined permanently. He was obviously on loan from Circle, but he's now full-time in Molenbeek. Jonathan Hellis joined from Erpen on a permanent deal as well. That was a free transfer, which looks like a good pickup for this level. Jan Vorogovsky also come in, former Pro League player as well. Uh, Thomas Defession comes in from Vestalo, who got promoted. And then I guess one of the more interesting ones is Michael Billon, who comes in from East End, which kind of frustrated quite a few East End fans because obviously they su- East End signed him, then loaded him out to Nancy, and now he's gone to uh, Molenbeek for a couple of million. I think it was like 2.25 million pounds. So I can't remember a bit more in euros at the moment. Yeah, so I guess... Didn't see that much of Molenbeek, apart from we saw them in the game against Salang and a couple of other games. And it was kind of, they looked good, but they needed a little bit more creativity and ability to break through, which they didn't really have in that playoff game. Biron obviously is going to be a completely different striker to what they had in Igor Di Camargo. They still got Obi Ulare, who stays from Barnsley, but he's injured to start the season. Guys, are you expecting Molenbeek to be right up there again? And do you think kind of the incomings that they've brought in, a couple of players that we know, obviously, from the Pro League, are going to take them, give them enough to kind of get over the hump this time and get into the top division? I think it really depends on what business they do before the window closes. It was interesting, just, just a few days ago, Vincent Everard, uh, T1, said very, very openly and publicly that he felt they, they aren't quite ready for the start of the season um, and the first two or three weeks might might be a bit iffy for them because he feels that they are uh, four quality players short of what he would like in terms of squad depth. Which was which was quite interesting. I think in some respects, last season they did overachieve. I I certainly didn't expect them to 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 do as well as they did um last year. And I think the season they're going to have this season is really going to depend on 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 the business they do before this window closes. I think I'm not so sure they'll have as good a year this time, but we'll we'll see. I think one big plus is bringing in Brian Smeets uh from from Lowell. I know as you were saying earlier, Ben. You know, we alluded to the the Lombard fans were a little bit displeased with losing Brian Speets. He, he went down very well with, with the fan base at Lombard, and they were not pleased when when he left to go to Molenbeek. You know, he's a player who is very physical and uh, has a lot of experience, certainly at this level, but also at Eredivisie level as well. So he's a he's a real big pickup for Molenbeek and a positive. But I, I just don't know yet. It really depends on what happens over the next sort of four weeks of. Of, of the window but my gut tells me that I don't think they'll have quite as good a season this season as they did last season unless owner John Texter's uh, prepared to splash a bit of cash because he, he does have some yeah, Miguel Parion stays the, a weird one of course indeed selling or well, buying him and then loaning him out and selling him for well, a fraction of the price that, that that they bought him for, but uh, he will also be the one carrying the attack. He will ha- he will, will have to perform because well, Ulare tore his ACL, and that's only a month ago. So um, yeah, he will be out for the largest part of the season, um, if he even comes back to the season, given his uh, 
injury history as well. They they will definitely take their time for that to heal. So uh, that that means that Byron is also uh, here's another team that actually effectively only has one st- striker at the moment. I think Byron, based on his purely based on his stats in the in the French uh, Ligue 2, he should be okay at this level. He he should perform well, so I think he can uh, carry at that, that attack on paper. Losing Romans is a big one. Replacing him with Smits, yeah, it's not completely the same position, I think, but it's still probably a, a good trade or a good replacement. Bringing Hazard in, um, well, or bring him back in, I, is probably also at this level, um, yeah, someone who can who can make a difference, but uh, not in every game, I guess. So that will be uh, interesting to see. Yeah, I think they're still a bit light. In like in the yeah obviously as a, in the striking position but also potentially yeah at the wings at the so okay they have Hazard but the, then the other left uh, left winger also has uh, Zakaria El Ouadi um, yeah he also is out with an injury already um, so Hazard is also the only player in that position they have two um, right wingers of which one is also only uh, brought in now and is 19 from Charleroi, Fabio Ferraro. It's just difficult to predict how how, how he will if he already is uh, ready for really making an impact at this level. So their their squad is taking some places but then in in some others and I think that could be crucial um if they indeed don't uh, splash some extra cash. Uh, in the anniversary window, which I'm sure they will, but at the, at the state of the club at the moment, I indeed would not predict them to have a, a as good season as last season. But I do think there's a good enough basis to to probably qualify for that uh, promotion playoff. Uh, but how far off that will be of the the actual contenders for promotion that that uh, remains to be seen. Yeah, it seems like there's a running theme that no one has any strikers or everyone's relying on one striker. So maybe it'll just even itself out and there'll be no one playing with any strikers by the end of this. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you guys are right on that. But I do expect them to do a little bit more as the window remains open. Let's go on to the next team, which is Denza. Uh, obviously, Vimdedeka's former club. Uh, they've gone in a very interesting direction in this sense. They've brought in Takahisa Shirashi, Japanese 46-year-old manager who's only ever managed, I think it was in, in women's football. Uh, he was an assistant manager at Excelsior, became direct sporting director at Denza last Feb- this February, I think it was. And then, yeah, a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, he's now the manager. Obviously, with Japanese owners as well, that kind of explains a little bit there. Uh, they've lost a couple of key players, though. So I think it's going to be quite an interesting season for them. Uh, Leonard Mertens has gone to club next. Yusuf Chaluk, we've obviously mentioned him a billion times. He's left. Tom Vandenberg has also gone to the same club in Kortslijk. And then Victor Boone, uh, their imposing centre-back, has gone to Union. So a lot to do for them. Uh, in t- place of Mertens, they brought in Mamadou Kone uh, from Erpen. Joachim Cancela Gonzalez comes in from uh, Muscol, now defunct Muscol in central midfield. Defensively interesting, like they've brought in Rusio de Porta, the youngster from Salta Valagem. Haitian Belgian nationality. It's always, in- always interesting to see a Haitian footballer. Uh, in the league as well. So saw a little bit of Rusio de Porta, but not much. So interesting to see how he gets on there. He's still young and got some time. Scott, start with you again, as always, on this one. How do you see Denza going into this? And are you convinced by the managerial switch that they've done? Well, that's a really interesting appointment in the sense that nobody saw that coming. When it happened uh, a few months ago, we we spoke about it, obviously, on 
on that particular week's episode of the BFP. Denza, uh, Denza's story at the moment is quite interesting because obviously at the tail end of last season they were uh, purchased by the, the Singapore-based investment company ACA Partners um, who have decided to develop their own football portfolio and Denza is uh, effectively the first club in that portfolio. They do have plans to acquire other clubs and um, develop a network much like uh, the City Group uh, and 777 Partners, you know, and, and other footballing kind of groups that we know. So they're following that model. So this is effectively going to be the first of first year of their five-year plan, the objective being uh, to be a pro-league side by the end of that five-year period. Um, they've also brought in a, a new sporting director as well, uh, Adrian Esparaga, uh, Spanish and there's been quite a lot of turnaround over the summer as you were saying Ben I think there are around 10 have come in and something like 10 have gone out as well and looking at it there's a there's a kind of decent mix of experience um, and quality in there and I, I think at the moment looking at it they do look slightly stronger to me than they did last year but that's assuming that you know the some of the parts kind of come together I think there's there's quite big expectations on a uh, takahisa Shirashai's shoulders here obviously you know he has a connection with St Truden as well having having been a coach there but it's kind of it's quite a big ask uh, for new owners to come in and to appoint you and to, to want you to spearhead effectively the the, the, the resurrection of this club, if you like, o- on the pitch. The owners have kind of pretty gl- grand plans to develop the stadium as well and the training facilities uh, over the next uh, few years as well as part of that five-year plan. So big plans initially, and if, if they come to fruition, uh, which is a big ask, all of that, um, then it'll certainly be some achievement. But I, I'm not sure how they will do yet, actually. It's just going to be see, interesting to see how they start the season, I think. But Denz are, are, a, are a bit of an unknown quantity almost for me. And what's up with having six central defenders, of which three of them you just brought in this in this transfer window? It seems to be very stuffed for 1B. That might be a good sign, of course. Uh, but, um, <laughs> just uh, I just was going through the squad and that's like, okay, that's interesting. They uh, have two new, uh, well, actually three, uh, but one is coming from the U teams, uh, new goalkeepers with uh, Dutrois, uh, while also having, are already being injured or still being injured. Uh, I don't know the status on this one, uh, but he was a foot operation, apparently. But, um, so we'll have to see how that clicks. The pressure is, is going to be really high uh, because of the whole project, and I'm always a bit skeptical about such projects as well so well um but um well the, what i do have is definitely a really good striker for this level in uh, dylan the builder never really made uh, been able to break it at, at in 1a but yeah in in 1b he has really decent statistics over the course of uh, a few seasons uh, already now uh, like uh, around six, oh, 59 goals in 130 games in the challenger pro league and um well in its predecessors uh, well mo- Actually, only in his predecessors at the moment, so that's a that's not a not a bad stat. Will it be enough uh, for them to really fight for promotion? Again, I think they would should be a team aiming at at least, well. I, I know they're aiming for more than that probably, but uh, definitely landing in that uh, promotion playoff and then hope that they are close enough to to uh, maybe. Uh, even mounted title challenge or maybe they even would be the first it's a shot in the dark in theory and it looks on paper it looks quite quite a stuffed squad and quite a, a decent squad as well do they have enough flash to to make it uh that's maybe another question as well yeah no all valid points um a couple of other players i like that i like um 
Jihad Bizimana and then Kurt Abrahams is one I've always been a little bit of a fan of. He's a very small winger. If you haven't seen him play, he's very, very small. But he's quite an exciting player to watch. Most experienced squads of, of all, um, according to the date on Transfermarkt as well, anyway. Um, so that that could play in their favour, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's fair as well, isn't it? Yeah, they've got lots of like 1B experience in that team. Um, and just lots of kind of footballing experience, I guess you could say. One side who... I guess they're probably quite lucky to be here, we could say. Uh, Arviton, uh, we spoke about them a little <laughs> bit last year, but they just kind of chucked together a team, saw what could happen. Obviously, they didn't technically stay up, but it was kind of like never expected that they would, and they gave it a pretty good fight in the time that they did do it. Obviously, with Muscon going, they do now get to kind of have another shot at it, and they've once again had to bring in quite a few players to kind of bulk out the team but on paper it doesn't look that bad aside and just kind of going through the players they lost it's kind of like uh lots of who's who who and who because you don't really know uh, Valentin Guadame obviously went to Selang a couple of others kind of moved around the lower divisions of Belgian football but outside of that some kind of interesting players Yannick Aguimong uh obviously got promoted with Leuven he comes in after not really being able to feature for Leuven for quite a few two or three seasons now. They've gone to Vestalo and picked up a couple of players from there, and Simon Paule, Matthias Locke, Arnie Kassa comes in on loan from Circle of Bruges. So they've worked kind of the, the free agent market, the kind of lower league kind of player market as well, like they had to do last season. But I feel like this year, guys, especially with kind of the youth teams in there as well, we're going to expect a little bit more from them in that sense because they should be able to beat those teams. I guess another one I'm kind of interested in, but only because I managed them for a little bit on Football Manager, is Suleiman An, who was an absolute <laughs> beast for me on that game. He was absolutely ridiculous. He kept me in the league quite comfortably <laughs> and then I made sure he could never leave, much to his displeasure when everyone tried to buy him. So yeah, maybe Suleiman An's going to do the same thing for them this season. But I think we're expecting a little bit more of a sustained kind of not challenge in sense of title challenge, but in sense of being able to keep up with the other teams in the league that are kind of the professional like non-youth teams this season, aren't we? If there's one team that there only gets one team relegated and if there's one uh, non-youth development squad uh, that I see able to be that team, it is them actually. <laughs> so I, I'm not actually seeing... Um, that much optimism there although they have five strikers so uh they can probably loan <laughs> they can probably get some loan some amount to uh to, to some other teams in need <laughs> uh in Kajé they have a, a very experienced player should be too good for this level but I don't know how his motivation is and and how his level at the moment also is okay they they have a really really stacked squad though yes um but I'm not sure yeah I can't say much of that I'm just also my my first statement here hot take maybe comes out of last season as well uh mostly but also yeah really they they also have to pull back they don't have the advantage of having uh to build a, uh, to build an experience uh from previous seasons that as much mm. as other teams because they also have to they had a lot of changes in the well, as you mentioned as well again this season yeah i'm not sure if they really that much more experienced in in yeah, in, in in professional football, of course, yes, but playing uh, in keeping a squad together, we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, um, 
So I, I expect them more in the lower the end of the of the table for sure. Maybe among the the development squads. Uh, maybe I'm completely misjudging here. Um, of course, that's uh, very much possible. It's a it's a wild league. This one, you know, what I mean, as we said quite a few times last last year, and I don't think this season is going to be any different. So there's always plenty of room to be surprised and. The thing with Verton is the great survivors, you know, as Ben was saying, you know, only still at this level because of Moosegron's misfortune, um, given a stay of execution. I, I agree with Ben. I think on paper, I think the squad is 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 a little bit stronger, but I also agree with Yoris in that I, I kind of see a playoff two spot. I think they will be in the bottom half. Where where they finish exactly really is, is what we don't know yet, but I, I don't think they're strong enough to, to, to finish in a playoff one spot. They've had a change of coach as well over the summer. They've brought back in uh, Christian Bracconi, who, who is a former Verton manager as well, um, not too long ago. So he's come back for a second spell. Worth mentioning, actually, that they do have a relatively big hitter in terms of a name in uh, Arnie Cassier, the centre-back, who's on loan from, from Circle. That's that's a really good pick-up for them, I think, and not the sort of pick-up they would, they would normally be able to to achieve. So that's that, that's a great addition for them. But yeah, I, I, I think a playoff two spot is probably their, the most likely bet for them this season. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I just meant in more the fact that they shouldn't finish rock bottom <laughs> of the table and be completely useless. They should be a little bit more competitive. Another side from last season we'll quickly look at is Lies. Again, lost a couple of of decent players in Stallone and Bombay, Kenneth Sherman's went to Denzer as well to join the centre-back squad that they're putting together there. Interesting though, they brought in Serge Tabakoy, was pretty decent for Musclon in the Pro League when they were pretty dreadful, had some decent games, joins obviously from Musclon. Then they've also brought in Leonardo Rocha from Urpen, never really had enough quality, I don't think, for the top division, but he did have a bit of time in the second tier as well. Dan Vickmans as well joins from Leuven. So to Joris's delight, they've got three strikers on the book here. So at least they've got a little bit of striking potency. Uh, Maxine Deby also joins in from Cave Mechelen. Yeah, they seem to have almost most kind of places covered. It is just the centre-back position for them. That's a little bit of a concern with only two recognised centre-backs in the main squad at the moment. So you're kind of a bit concerned what would happen if one of those goes down, does Debi or Carl uh, Seltwunen, the defensive, more defensive-minded midfielders, have to slot in at centre-back? But going forward, obviously, yeah, I'm a Serge Tabakoy fan. I liked what I saw from him before. Interested to see if, like, Rocha and Vickmans can do it or if they're going to be reliant on Jens Nassens. But, again, kind of, I think they're going to be similar in a sense to, to Vieton. I don't see them challenging at the top, but could be wrong. But I feel like they're going to be kind of mid-table, potentially playoff two bound. Do you know, Liers are, are such an interesting club to me because last season I felt they overachieved slightly because the season before that, you know, I mean, they were they were really pretty poor on the whole. And, and, and last year they kind of, they had quite consistent periods and a few weeks where they weren't quite at it. And I think if they could have ironed those out, then, you know, I mean, they really could have pushed hard for for a, a, an almost top two or three spot last year. They, they they did look kind of ahead of schedule almost, so it's going to be really interesting to see how their season pans out. Quite telling, I think, in that quite early on this summer, they uh, extended the contract of their T1, Tom Van Emscoot, who's been there for, for almost three years now. So there's a, there's a degree of stability there, uh, which I think has is, is kind of served them kind of quite well. 
Um, and he's at home there, obviously, Van Imscoot. Fairly experienced in his own right, actually, as well. Another interesting one, Fact Fans, um, as well as being a pro- previous Lommel T1, uh, he was also a certain Felice Mazu's assistant when uh, Felice had his short and unfortunate spell um, at Genk, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, bringing in um, Serge Tabicu and uh, Leonardo Rocca are, are both quite decent pickups for them. And I think if they can, you know, if they can go on a run like the one they did last season, then I can see Liers uh, finishing in playoff one. But it really just depends on um, whether they can be consistent enough over the course of of well the initial 22 games anyway another team that has been a bit hampered already uh because uh and a bit unlucky they brought in Jens Dunkens as, as goalkeeper on a free uh but he also tore his ACL a few uh, a few weeks in the preseason so uh he won't be featuring much so yeah my main concerns lie lie, lie indeed at the back uh they also they did bring in Maxime de Langer from PSV uh, as a goalkeeper he's supposed to be a big talent featured already at at professional level um yes at at young PSV also in the second uh, tier of the Dutch league so he's considered a big talent he has a bit of professional experience all their goalkeepers are young Tunkus was the experienced one uh, which is 24 years of age yeah and also he didn't feature that much on in the uh, the in in the senior squad yet and yes like, like Ben mentioned again the only two central defenders I'm sure they they will need some more uh, or I don't know what system they're pl- planning to uh, to play but I also agree with the the general feeling of both of you uh, a mid-table finish potentially playoff one potentially just in playoff two um, I think that's that is the most likely prediction at the moment they they have some strikers there Rocha and Nasus if they perform at their level um, they should be okay for this uh, for this league I, I think they, they should have a calm season indeed still I don't know if there's any such thing as a calm season in this league there's always just some sort of chaos going on isn't there um, <laughs> let's go to, yeah <laughs> but I know what you said I know what you're saying like mid-table but it won't be calm but it'll be like as calm as it can get uh, let's go to probably the side we know the least about between us, which is Dender, who got promoted from the third tier of Belgian football via the promotion playoff. I think, if I'm right in thinking, they finished fourth in the regular season, got into the playoffs and then won the playoffs, um, basically pipping RC Liège to the kind of promotion spot. They then went and raided RC Liège, picking up uh, Michael Lalamand, 29-year-old striker, um, urban-born striker, former Belgian under-19, played a lot in Belgium for different sides, plays for Urpen, like Antwerp, Denzer, uh, Liège, 32 goals in the chat in the second tier in his career so far, 22 in the third tier. So he's kind of the main man for them, but given the number nine shirt, and they're going to be very much reliant on him to be the one scoring the goals for them to keep them in this league. Obviously, that job's made a little bit easier by the youth teams being introduced as well. Yours, I guess I want to come to you first on this one because you're probably going to have a little bit of a better idea about kind of the difference between the third and second tier than kind of me and Scott. But how much of a jump do you think it will be for a side like Dender to go into the Challenger League? Like, is there such a big gap between the two leagues or is it actually not as big a gap as maybe it used to be, which we've seen in kind of some of the other European leagues around the world, or is it 
they're expected to struggle, but because of these kind of youth teams, they may actually have a little bit of a better season than they would have had if it had been no youth teams and just a straight up kind of teams without that. Really difficult to predict also, not mm. much of to go on from the last few years because there's always been well, other reasons why teams got promoted. You didn't need to be the, fir- the first in the third year, but you just wanted needed to want to apply for a license for uh, to play in. <laughs> in the, if I'm not mistaken, Lierse was actually the season before they promoted were, were only 13th or so in the third year. Judged on that, Yes, they needed some time to adapt, but they, they did manage to, to be relatively competitive at the lower end of the table, but still competitive. I, I really don't know that many players of them. Well, Mal, like you said, um, but basically he had one. I, I, I wanted to say he's a proven goal scorer on this level, and I think he, he has the ability to do that. He's still only 29 as well, but yeah, most of his goals actually, uh, when I looked it up now, uh, came from one season at Europe. So uh, where he scored 18 times. Nicolas Reisel, he actually which was uh, was not so bad, but he also suffered some injuries. Uh, I, I And I do not know how his level at the moment is. He featured uh, at Ostende and yeah, at Rousselaar as well. I think for this level, he should be a good signing. But again, a bit out of sight, out of mind. I can't really say if he actually has, uh, has any level still. Wesley Van Bella, I see that's a name that rings a bell, but uh, he's also 36 years old, so they're experienced heads, definitely. That was also long ago, and um, it, it was also more in the in this tier that uh, that he featured also at, at Mechelen, actually, at the start of his career, but not that much on a higher level. But yes, he, he's an experienced head at this level, with uh, two, two hundred, almost 250 appearances, but can he still bring a 36 Another question to, that's really difficult to answer. They didn't have that much of activity. That's maybe a thing to highlight. Five additions to the squad. So that's at least in addition, uh, it's it's not so bad, but diff- very difficult to predict. And maybe I should also say, together with Virtuot, this is a team that that's mainly based on not knowing much of the squad. That, that could end up, I expect them more in the in- relegation playoff here. Whether that really is in danger or on top of that uh, playoff, that's that's difficult to predict, but even more difficult to predict, I guess. That... Well, I think the, the first thing to say about Denda for me is welcome to the new boys. Obviously, it's going to be really exciting to see to see a new side at this level and and how they how they perform at this level. Joris mentioned the the five incomings. Interestingly, they're all free transfers. So they haven't really spent any money, which is probably just as well because they don't have very much. So they're, they're being financially kind of quite prudent, which which they're going to have to do. Something worth highlighting in relation to Dender, I think, is they have a very, very experienced T1 in Reggie Van Acker. Reggie's 67 now, but you know when you look at his kind of career as a coach, um, it's extremely experienced. And I think there's a hope that that will count for a lot for them uh, this season. I mean, amongst just some of the clubs he's spent time at as a as T1 in the past, uh, Denza, Racing Mechelen, Antwerp, Liège, Kortrijk, uh, Saint Niklas, uh, Eindracht Alst, um, and a host of other clubs. 
at lower levels as well. So he knows this level, he knows the lower levels, and I, I think that's that's going to be a, an important choice for them, I think, you know, considering they don't have a lot of finances to, to be too creative about. So that experience and the motivation that comes with that experience at this level is is is, is a big plus for them. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they do. Like Yoris, I, at the moment, would expect a playoff two spot, but, you know, like we were saying earlier, there is a potential surprise package here. Yeah, I think playoff two is definitely kind of realistic expectations for them. And like you're saying, like kind of looking through their squad, there's not many recognisable names outside the ones that Yoris picked up on. And some of those may be into the kind of very late twilight of their careers at this point. Let's move on to the youth teams then. And this is kind of a little bit more difficult in the sense that obviously Scott's already kind of laid out the, the, the guidelines for how these teams can operate in the, the division. Obviously, we know they can't get promoted. Um, just quickly go through. So we've got Club Next are back, so Club Bruges youth team. Uh, Anderlecht Futures, Anderlecht Futures team, obviously. Standard Liège 16 FC and then Young Genk. Obviously, we're going to know a lot more about Young Genk than the other three just because we've got Joris on the podcast. He knows obviously a lot more about Genk than any of that. So we'll start there and then... Maybe we can just kind of talk about what we expect these teams to use, like what we expect the big, the kind of parent clubs of these youth teams to use them for in this league. But Joris, just quickly on Young Genk, are there any players that you think if people are going to watch kind of one of these games that they're involved in that they should be looking out for? There definitely are a few, but I will also propose to go for more of a overview of the all four of the teams and, and the different strategies they're taking because I think that's actually maybe the most interesting part of it all. To, to quickly go for Young Genk, um, yeah, Nick Agos, 17-year-old, is a, a really big talent and yeah, he was probably supposed to be playing well as a, as a substitute more but now with uh, Abit's injury which I already talked about I think in the other preview as well, he will probably feature a lot more. Uh, left winger, this team also is it's also together for a long time so actually in, in a sense of experience and then in being together they might even be ahead of some other teams that that have to have a lot of uh, movements uh, in uh, in their squad that uh, they might have that in ahead uh, in a weird way maybe they're a bit in uh, on at the center back at the moment but the Dan Dirix is supposed to be coming back still and be signing one of the upcoming days I think um, uh, that should not take that long and we'll we'll have to see how it how it all pans out El Canus was was the their their main uh, yeah. Uh, attraction, one of their main attractions last season, but he's uh, most likely already not going to feature there anymore. If he he's almost at the limits, uh, I think if he, he features a few times more in the in the in the senior squad. And uh, there's a few more players that are in the senior squad that are not listed on transfermarkt now, but probably will feature at least sometimes, maybe most of the times in the in in this team. Also players that are used to play with a lot of these people. So yeah, that's also a bit why. The, the Hinks, uh, young Hinks team is the youngest theoretically on Transfermarkt, but I'm not sure if that actually will be the case with these senior squad players that are listed at the senior squad there as well. So the the, ever, the mean age, average age in, at, of young Hink is a bit uh, higher than is than it's going to be here uh, seen here. Okay, one frustration of mine as well. Why the hell don't you do, do agree on a f- similar format and let's. Like now it ma- doesn't make sense. Club next, RSL futures, Sandler says if, if see Young Genk, well, what's up with that? Just make it a, a standardized version. But okay, 
That's <laughs> everyone, everyone loves a rebrand, don't they, guys? <laughs> that, that's just that's just ridiculous, in my opinion. But okay, that's a small frustration I had to put out here about the other teams. I will already taken together I, I guess group next is actually the, the team that has spent most of, of all teams so the, yeah the, they have uh, brought in the actually has brought, that's one of the strategy things I wanted to talk about as well Klubrugge brought in uh, a few outlandish talents uh, as well so a few Danes I believe and uh, they already had Nusa I think he might not be listed here as well they might be in the senior squad they, de- they definitely stuffed their squad not only with Belgian talent but also with foreign talent the, the Japanese uh, Shion Homa as well. They brought in some more talent there. And Young Henk and RSA Future didn't bring in the experienced player, the dispensation player that they that they are allowed to bring in. I, I, I know from Young Henk that it's also the, the aim to, to keep it that way, that they don't want that. Klubrugge did, and they brought in Lennart Mertens, an experienced striker from Danze. That's yeah, we're transferring the sense that it's actually weakening a competitor and, and, and strengthening a competitor in the same league, uh, which is a weird thing to do in this context, I think. But that's uh, that's not it's, it might prove a, an important addition to them because he's definitely a proven goal scorer at this level. So um, that that might give them give them some edge over the other youth teams. Standard uh, brought in uh, Duplus, I think, experienced old head for them. Standard. It would also be interesting to see how it goes even more. So them with the other teams because I do feel like all the big talents that they have will probably feature rather in the in the senior squad as well and not play here so that it, that could mean that they will have a even even an even younger squad and suffer a bit more or uh, most of all, of all youth teams but it's really difficult to compare obviously Anderlecht also they, they just have so many players that are in young age in, sen- in the senior squads theoretically a lot of them could play a few more things it's also interesting to see the, how it will go in during the World Cup actually because then in Challenger Pro League there, there will be four I believe match days so theoretically all these uh, young squads could could really look completely different for 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 game days, uh, which is a bit very twisted in this system. But at least in theory, that's what they could do. I don't think they will too much. But yeah, with a lot of young players being in the senior squad and the rules what they are, there they could be quite some shifts, um, even more so than in uh, in other times of the season, which uh, also could happen. My final general remark is: teams will these young teams will be way more prepared than Club Next because you can't really compare uh, two seasons ago. You can't really compare it because they did only know three weeks in advance that they would be playing. They didn't have any preparation whatsoever. Um, yeah, so I think they will all be a b- way more competitive than than Club Next, um, and and because they have prepared for this for well at least a full season already. Last season, of course, not playing against senior squads yet, but yeah, compiling the squads, they, they definitely are more ready than Club Next was. Uh, also, the rules are, or uh, in theory, they're, they're they're definitely that opens more options for for these senior squad members to to get some game time in there although there are of course limits luckily there are it will be really it will be interesting to see how it all pans out we'll we'll have to see the this 
it's really difficult to predict um, how they actually will be able to compete at this level. And for me, interesting, I know, uh, especially Ben and the film others are not so much fond of it, but despite of despite that, still like to see how the, how this all pans out. Yeah, as Joris was saying, it's 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 a big wild card, this uh, uncharted territory for for all of us in in Belgium. This couple of things worth mentioning in relation to kind of the under twenty three teams actually, because they can't be promoted effectively to the Pro League, should one of the under-23 sides finish in a playoff one spot after 22 weeks, they will be replaced in playoff one by the best-performing classic side, if I can describe them like that, um, non-academy team, next-performing one in, in that playoff one spot as well. So, you know, yeah, as Joris was saying, it's it's a slightly strange uh, setup that we're all going to have to get used to. We just need to see how it goes. One thing worth mentioning is a big shout out to a certain Nicky Ayan, who Beveren fans will remember as being the T1 who was coach when Vasland were, were relegated uh, to 1B. Nicky went off after a time uh, out of the game, uh, spent a bit of time in Welsh football, but has since over the summer come back to be the new T1 at Club Next, which was a very interesting appointment. So there, there's a spicy perhaps with a small S matchup coming up this season between uh, Club Next and uh, and Beveren when he goes up against his, his old side. I'm sure uh, Nicky has a has a point or two to prove about his uh, credentials. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Also some interesting coaches as well, actually, um, at the under-23 sides. I mean, the Anderlecht Futures have uh, Robin Veldman there. Robin's actually a former Ajax youth manager as well. So a really good pedigree, a really good school of coaching there. You know, unsurprisingly, um, you know, those two things coming together at Anderlecht, as we know, who still have probably one of the, the finest academies Academies across across Europe, it still produces very fine young players. Young Genk, obviously, Hans Sommers is their is their T one, and he's been there already for for I think a little under three years. Manager of the under eighteens as well, and uh, standardly age sixteen, SL sixteen are being led by uh, Josef Lauman, former Barnsley manager and a former T two at uh, Bochum in the Bundesliga as well. So Ben might have seen him kicking about on his his, his Bundesliga travels. So. It's going to be interesting to see how the under twenty three sides integrate to the to the bigger picture because there has on the whole been a bit of discontent around it. It's not something that's gone down terribly well. I I want to keep an open mind about it because I think there are some positives here around player development, and that's the bit I want to focus on. Um, looking at some some young talent in these sides and hopefully hopefully getting a closer look at them some weeks and seeing their seeing their careers develop firsthand. One last thing I want to say as well to uh, to to general concept of 1VN with the youth teams uh, to cover all the bases it's not very likely but if a uh, senior side of one of these uh, youth sites relegates then the automatically uh, the relegation in one uh, in in the Challenger Pro League is for the U team of that one, and even if that would not be in the relegation spot or in the last finish last uh, at the end of the season, so uh, it's very unlikely. But if such a big team would uh, fall down, then the, that also has consequences, of course, for the youth side that uh, development side that cannot uh, appear in the same division. Hopefully, we've uh, we've not confused you more than you already were <laughs> today. <laughs> we're, tra- we're trying to clear it up <laughs> yeah right the more you go into it the more confusing it gets but no that final bit from yours does definitely make sense and um i don't think it's going to happen if i'm honest i think all four of those teams 
first team should stay in the Pro League. But you never know. This is Belgian football and crazy things do happen. I've got nothing more to add. You guys completely summed up perfectly the youth team. So I think we'll leave that one there. And that probably wraps up this preview for 1B or the Challenger Pro League, as I need to start calling it. I'm just still so stuck in the ways of calling it 1B. And hopefully at some point I'll get over that. Um, Let's quickly look ahead. Penny Jart. Yeah, there we go. I don't know. The cost of living crisis at the moment. That'd be, uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know how to explain that to the uh, the energy company so I say so I can't afford my bills because I keep saying 1B instead of Challenger Pro League <laughs> anyway <laughs> let's look ahead to the opening round of fixtures kicks off on Friday night with Denda against Lommel while also Vitton against Molenbeek is at the same time so nice little double header kind of spread yourself across that and well of the 1A I don't know how you're going to fit it all in but someone will Scott against SK Beveren on Saturday. That's quite a big one already. Club next against Sandley, age 16. Young Genk open their campaign against Lies and then Andalek's second team, the Futures host Denza. Guys, it's been a pleasure. We've wrapped up another preview this time for the second tier of Belgian football. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up? It's been an absolute delight. It's been, it yes, <laughs> yes, it, it, yes, it has. But also, uh, of course, if you, uh, if you, if we made a mistake somewhere in some namings or anything, or apologies, for, <laughs> that's uh, that can happen. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a shock if it was. Enjoy it'd be a shock your, uh, if it was yours, because usually it's me or Scott making these terrible name pronunciations. So, I mean, if yours gets it wrong, we've got no hope. Yeah, there's always the penny jar for yours <laughs> as well. It applies to all of us. <laughs> Enjoy your football, everybody, this weekend, um, whatever you're watching. Absolutely. As always, thanks for listening to the Belgian Football Podcast. I'll save the usuals because you probably, if you're listening to this, you listen to to us most of the time. So, yeah, leave us a review. Find us on Twitter and kind of all the socials if you want to get in touch. But once again, thank you for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.